0: I'm spinning in circles and I'm talking to myself, spinning in circles and I'm talking to myself. Welcome to a new spin on autism. Answers with host and international speaker and performer, Lynette Louise. Besides working on her doctorate in psychophysiology, Lynette has raised eight children, six adopted, and four of them falling somewhere on the autism spectrum. Laugh with her, cry with her, as she talks to both experts and parents and takes you through the often confusing, sometimes frustrating, sometimes overwhelming, but always fascinating world of autism. Hello and welcome. This is a new spin on Autism Answers. I'm Lynette Louise, your story teacher host, otherwise known as The Brain Broad. Thank you for being here. I am so excited. We are doing something a little different. I always say that. And then I do do something a little different. So I have have two shows. I have this one for Autism. And then I have one that's a more broad-reaching, brain-broad kind of show, and it's called Build a Brain, and it's all about different stories of people improving and getting better from a variety of disorders. We've done Parkinson's, and we've done Alzheimer's, and we've done um, a pituitary issue, and just recently, as a matter of fact, we did sensory integration disorder. um, Some people call it sensory processing disorder, and I thought oh no, I think this show belongs on my autism show, but I've already done it. So I quickly recorded it as it played live and I went, oh no, and I pushed record. And so now what I want to do for you is I want to incorporate that show into today's show because so many of the kids, well, in fact, all the kids I've ever met that have autism have a sensory processing issue. So it just really belongs here. But before we get into it, I want to remind you to stay to the very end of the show when we will have stories from the road. And I'll tell you a story that puts it together and makes it make sense why I might have started this show somewhere else and brought it here. So um, now you know, actually, I think it's kind of brilliant because it gives me a chance to plug the other show. It's on Health Cafe Live. Uh, you can just put that in, or you can put in the Brain Broad Build a Brain, because that's what it's called, and it's every second Thursday at 10 o'clock Eastern Standard Time in the evening. And it's live. And so I would love it if you would join me there. We cover all kinds of things. And in case you're not only dealing with autism, you might, might want to check that one out. Don't bother with the one that's up right now, though, because you're about to hear it. because <laughs> I'm going to borrow it for today's show. And the guest is Joy Lunch. She's got um, reams of experience with neurofeedback, which is my favorite therapy. I find that it works for All disorders across the board because a brain is a brain is a brain is a brain and if you apply something that helps the brain to change itself then it really doesn't matter what you called the disorder so that's why it's my favorite but I do love pulling from all my colleagues and getting their take on things and their stories so hang on to your hats joy is a great storyteller and she's got a story to share I'm real excited to, to give this um, tape, <laughs> this taped opportunity to you, um, but before I, before I introduce it as if she's with me, um, I just want to tell you, a, re, you know, a little bit of my past, um, for those of you who don't already know. I had synesthesia, which is a type of sensory integration disorder. It means that for me, I saw sound. Um, And I've come across some wonderful kids over the years that have had a variety of these kinds of things. And one of the little boys that I worked with in Kuwait, he uh, he had a, an issue where he saw shapes everywhere. So if he was looking, you know, over in the corner, he might see a triangle talking to a rectangle. And he had this whole world that he had made up about it, and we told little stories, and we made little plays out of them. And he told me all about their feelings. It was really, really interesting to meet somebody who had um, a shape synesthesia, because I had never actually met anybody who had had a shape synesthesia and been able to talk about it. So that was a real fun experience. And it reminds me to tell you that sensory systems come in all these different shapes and sizes. It's not just your, your smell and your taste and your touch. It's not the five senses you think it is. There's also this spatial sense this awareness of numbers, this awareness of space, this awareness of shapes like triangles and squares. And and then there can be a confusion amongst those. One of the things that often happens with the kids is they taste shape. So you might think that you're feeding your child soup and they might be thinking, wow, this has too many triangles in it and it hurts my mouth. And so often people have problems getting their kids to eat. And so often it's a sensory issue. So it's real important to know that sensory issues can be worked with, they can be improved, they can be fixed as a matter of fact. I fixed mine, I fixed all the kids I've worked with so far, if they've stayed at it, they've been fixed as far as their sensory integration goes. So it's a real exciting thing and we're going to talk to Joy Lund of Brain Potential in Burbank. And um, I'll pretend she's here and say, hi Joy. Hi Linda, thank you
1: so much, it's lovely to speak with you today.
0: Yeah, I'm excited to have you here. I'm really thrilled. So thank you for being willing to share your story with us. Um let's let's start right at the beginning. Nineteen ninety three. What got you into neurofeedback? Yeah,
1: in nineteen ninety three I was absolutely in love with my career as a nurse. I I truly enjoy being a nurse and nothing nothing I had to complain about that. But at that point I had a five year old son. He was my only one, so I didn't have any knowledge about kids and being a parent but what I did know is that you know by five years old most of the other kids I knew they were able to go up and down stairs you know one foot on this step the next foot on the next step and my son would put both feet on a step before he would go up or down the next step that's a little odd you know I didn't think it was going to ruin his life but a little odd I give him a piece of paper say here draw a picture and he would happily in the lower right hand corner of the page didn't matter how big a piece of paper I gave him. I gave him little pieces of paper. I gave him big pieces of paper. didn't matter. Lower right hand of the page. And he didn't really like to draw in crayons. So I went, okay, all right. Maybe he likes markers. So he had markers. Didn't use those. Maybe he likes pastels. I got him some pastels. Nah. <laughs> so he wanted a pencil. And he made little figures and pencils, and, and that was all he did. Um, you know, the teachers didn't say much about it, but they kind of, huh? you know when they saw his stuff that he was turning in and eventually his first grade teacher came to me very kindly and said you know I think he's having some troubles you know I think he's having some troubles and you might want to get him evaluated I'm like okay you're the expert sure so we went to see a social worker and she did all kinds of evaluations and basically said something's there but I don't I can't tell you what I'm like okay Let's take a step up the chain. We went to a, a, a PhD clinical psychologist. Basically, the same answer. Well, you're right, something's there, but not sure. I don't even think it's ADD. Okay, next step up the ladder. Psychiatrist had him evaluated. At the end of the psychiatry visit, he explained to me that he thought maybe, maybe he did have ADD, and we should just go ahead and start him on Ritalin. And as a nurse, I was like, okay. What is Ritalin? I I don't know what this stuff is. And he said, well, you know, it'll help him. It'll help him. I'm like, okay, all right. Um, is this like more like an antibiotic where you take it for a few weeks and then you're done, or kind of like more like blood pressure medicine where you take it forever? He goes, oh, he'd have to take it till he's at least 18. He might outgrow this, but at least till he's 18. Oh, oh, well, that's that's a long time. He's he's five. Yeah 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 yeah. But it's fine it's fine it's fine it's fine. I'm like oh okay. What are what are the long term studies on this stuff? You know, as a nurse I had some idea right. that they do that with drugs. He says, <laughs> I went, wah, Oh, wah, okay. wah, wah, wah. Exactly. So as a nurse, I knew perfectly well that that was where I was supposed to stop asking questions because he didn't know. I said, all right, all right, I got my answer. You don't know. C. was the manufacturer of virulent at that moment in time. I wrote them a letter and I said just thinking they might be the easiest source, could you please provide me with any, you know, references or copies of any long-term studies done on the drug Ritalin, please? And I got a very nice letter back that stated quite simply, due to the lack of any negative responses, no long-term studies have ever been done. Oh. Mm -hmm. So, you know, my mom's brain is uh, twirling around in my head, saying, well, the doctor the expert, says I should put him on Ritalin. But the drug can't say, wow, wow, is it such a good drug? It's really never hurting? Well, okay, maybe, maybe. So I was at a point where I was sort of trying to think what I was going to do, which is, I think, where parents all get to. What, am I gonna, what decision am I going to make for my child? And at that moment in time, I was home getting ready for work one morning, and at that point in time there was something called the home show, and it was sort of a morning news show kind of a thing where they would talk about different things and share recipes and different things. And there on the home show was a gentleman by the name of Siegfried Othmer demonstrating this neurofeedback stuff, although I think at that point they might have been calling it EEG biofeedback. And it caught my eye. I went, whoa, wait a minute. What, what are they talking about? What are they doing? And I, you know, I'm standing there watching the television saying, well, that." That sounds kind of weird, and I don't even know if such a thing is possible. Now, what they're saying there, if such a thing was possible, that might be what my son needs. Maybe that would work for him. Okay, they put a phone number up. I called the phone number, asked all about it. I was in Chicago at the time. For Pete's sake, Chicago, right? I said, who can I take my son to? Well, currently,
0: we don't know of anybody in the state of Illinois who's doing this. Oh. Oh. I'm going to interrupt you because I want the people to be able to follow your story, and it's so enthralling. So when you saw him on the Home Channel, was it? Yeah, the Home Show, yeah. Okay, when you saw him on the Home Show, what was it? Because some of our listeners don't know what neurofeedback is, so... What was it that he described that you went, hmm, if such a thing is possible, what's the thing? He was explaining that the child
1: who was sitting in the chair and had these sensors on their head was in fact determining how the game ran according to what their brain was doing. Not thinking, doing, kind of mechanically. And it appeared to me, hmm, okay, my son goes up and down the stairs weird. That's got to, everything's right with his legs, his feet. It's got to be his brain sending messages kind of weird. If he's drawing in the right-hand corner, he can draw, but why there? That's got to, it's not his hands, it's not, you know, his fingers. It was his right. brain. Right. And so they were telling me for the first time that I've ever heard in my life that, just like you said, you could actually build a brain. Right. Or do some repair work on a brain that hadn't shown up quite right. And that's awesome.
0: Okay. So you're trying to find out. Thank you. So you're trying to find out where you can train, and they say they don't have anything. Right. I'm like, who can I take my son to? I'd rather do that. Sorry, nobody in Illinois.
1: Like, oh. You know, and at that point, they want you to do it two or three times a week. Like, well, I can't exactly drive to California two or three times a week. That's not going to work. So, like, you know, sat there and talked it over with my husband and it was completely out of character. I said, You know something? Well, in the meantime I said, Please send me anything you have that I can read about this which there was very little to read about. There wasn't I mean nineteen ninety three at that point I hadn't even signed on to the internet yet. This is right. pre internet days. I didn't I didn't know how to, you know, find out much about this.
0: That's why you sent a letter to the company instead of going <laughs> and doing a Google search. I mean even when you're telling the story I'm remembering trying to find things out that way, it's hilarious. I had to write
1: a letter, put a stamp on it.
0: So the more I heard about this, the
1: more I talked to them, the more I realized that this might be something that could really help my son. And since I couldn't go to somebody who already knew how to do it, I said, doggone it, I'm going to go to California and learn what this is about. I went. I learned. Um, my, My choice was to actually also at that time, they were sort of new to teaching it. And so I was extremely fortunate because when I called and said, look, I, I, I really need to learn how to do this, like really learn it while I'm there because I have to go back to Chicago. And so could I stay for two weeks after the class and just hang out, sort of became a Siamese twin with Sue Othmer? You know, I had to tell her, if I get in the way, just push me out of the way, but I really want to see everything you do. And so I was in her office for two weeks watching her, understanding what she did, and had some personal experiences just just trying this neurofeedback stuff on my head. That, if nothing else, it absolutely convinced me that it was real. That something. Okay,
0: so what? So tell, what happened? What's, oh. what's an example of something oh. that happened for you personally?
1: So at this point in time, after a class, Sue would march all of the participants to her office, and there was one set of equipment, so we all had to take turns. And she said, okay, everybody's going to get a chance for five minutes to try this, just so you'll see what it's like to actually have to do this. Great. I said, can I go last? Because if I go last, could I actually do like a 30-minute session? She's like, sure. She sat down and asked me a few questions so she could tailor this a little bit for me. And we sat there and we did it. And um, I Wasn't aware that I was doing anything. It was very invisible. I kind of was thinking, oh, no, I've come out to California at great expense, and this is nonsense. But we had been sitting in class all day long, listening to stuff that I was unfamiliar with and trying to learn it for eight hours a day, and I was exhausted at the end of the days. But we were in L.A. We were visiting. You know, We felt committed to go doing something. That night, it happened to be a Sunday evening, we were planning to go to Rodeo Drive. Good time to go window shopping. They were closed. But we found a little restaurant there and had dinner. And the lady who had come with me from Chicago and I were sitting there talking, and all of a sudden I looked across the table and I said to her, am I talking any faster than I usually do? (laughs) (laughs) She had this odd look on her face and she kind of said, yeah. And you're like, like lighting up or something here. What's with you? I said, I don't know. I feel fantastic, like, like I've been on vacation, like I've gotten all the rest I needed to. I have so much energy, but not like anxious kind of edgy energy. It's just like, wow, this is the kind of energy I would want to have if I was home trying to clean the house. I would be so happy and full of energy, and I feel great. And then all of a sudden I said, oh, no, how am I going to go to sleep tonight? This isn't going to work. i got to go to class tomorrow morning. So we went through the evening, I I felt so fantastic, great. We went back to the hotel, I'm like, okay, I'll get my book out, ready to read or something, went to bed, boom, out like a light.
0: Isn't that cool? Okay, so a a lot of times people, you know, when I tell people that sort of a story, they're going, yeah, but we're talking about real issues and you're just talking about having, you know, a better mood or greater clarity. And I'm like, recognize that. It's like a domino, a cascade effect of one little change to one little change to one little change, and that's how you build and change what your brain is actually doing and how it's operating. So these, these moments, they accumulate, and they're huge.
1: Exactly, exactly. And certainly what I have found is that I never recreated that exact moment. Right. I caught my brain by surprise, and it went, oh, oh now I'm on to you. And if you want me to learn that you're going to have to show me every single step of how to get there. And so okay,
0: so here you are. You learn it. you got lucky timing-wise. Life is timing. you know. <laughs> They're just starting out, so they let you sort of be a sponge and learn everything, and you got to really assert yourself into position, which is gorgeous. I had a similar good fortune when I came into the field. But um, how did that – so your son is still the issue. So you, you learn all this. At some point, I'm assuming that you take it back. We're going to go and talk about how that played out for your son. But first, let me remind everybody, you are listening to a new spin on Autism Answers. I'm Lynette Louise, your story teacher and host, otherwise known as the Brain Broad. Don't forget to stay to the very end of the show, and we're going to bring it all together in Stories from the Road. Meanwhile, we are borrowing... Joy lunch recording from the Health Cafe Live because it is so applicable for us. So let's go ahead and continue. Clearly your son had more than just ADD. Well, and interestingly enough, he didn't have ADD. But I
1: think probably I was very blessed to have the lesson that I did. Um, It took a few years before my son got the benefit of this stuff. And it had a lot to do with the fact that what he was actually dealing with was more of a sensory integration problem, very, very, very dominated by auditory processing difficulties. So he looked like he wasn't paying attention, but instead he was understanding the world differently than I thought he was. So he was responding incorrectly. So they said, well, he wasn't paying attention because he didn't answer the question properly. Well, he didn't hear the question that you asked. He heard some other question. So he gave you the answer he thought you wanted. So I think probably one of the most significant and valuable lessons I learned was that this really has to be applied to each and every person in the way that they need. And there were days that I would take him home from the sessions, and I had a child that was extremely hyperactive, who I had never had before. Well, okay, don't worry, I'm going to take him back to the office and fix that tomorrow. <laughs> there was another day he was—you know—by now he's probably six. He sat in the chair, and I was trying to find the right. We didn't have a lot to choose from at the time. Our, our approaches were very limited. But I was working with what I had, and he sat there, and I looked at him, and the tears were rolling down his cheeks. I'm like, what's wrong? He said, Mom, my life is so sad. I'm so unhappy. And I jumped up, and I'm like, get these things off of your head. <laughs> <laughs> so... My poor son suffered through my learning curve and eventually through more, and of course because now I'm working with the brain, I had to learn more about the brain. I had to really learn what the different parts do and how they work together and finally came to understanding that his auditory processing center was where I needed to focus my work. And when we got there, that's where life really changed for him. But... And, and, you know, I, I was a parent doing this. I wasn't a therapist doing this. I was a parent doing this. And so I went through all the parenting stuff, right? He would come to my office. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this, Mom. I'm not going to do this. I don't want to do this, right? Because, you know, the truth is it gets kind of boring after a while. So at one point I finally had to say, okay, you're right. I forbid you to do this. I <laughs> do not go in there. Do not sit in that chair. Do not do I, No, you're right. I forbid you to do this. And, of course, then what he watched were all the other kids coming to my office, getting all this attention paid to them. And, you know, I try to be really nice to the kids who I work with. And so that was kind of fun, and he suddenly realized he was missing out on that. So one day he said, Mom, please, I, I want to do this. And I was really one of those tough moms. No, no, I'm serious, you can't do it. And I held out for three weeks. No, I want you to do it this really badly. no. So, so for three more weeks he begged, oh, please, come on, Mom, I'll be good, I'll do it. And so, and so finally we started back at it again. But um, I think one of the most gratifying moments in my entire career, my son is now 27 years old. He's in college studying to be a, a chef in the culinary arts world. And he came to me a few months ago, and he said, Mom, you know, the stress of school is pretty high right now. I think I need some sessions.
0: That's cool.
1: To have to have the one person in the whole world who I so desperately wanted this to work for to finally come to me as an adult and say, This has use in my life. I value this. Can I have some of this?
0: Oh <laughs> You know, Yeah, no. That's yes, I do know. I mean that's why we're you're here. That's why you're in the place you are, that's why you did the learning, so yeah, you want it to work for him. I think it's so interesting. There's a couple of things that I'd love to chat about for a second. One of them is that the the symptoms that you pointed out in the early stages with him. They don't sound like auditory processing issues, although I see the connection. I, I want to talk about that a little bit because so many people uh, get frustrated when they're trying to get help from the medical field. Because they see auditory processing as simply, um, I'm not hearing the way that you might be hearing, rather than perhaps the confusion in auditory and visual, and and how the whole sensory system all connects and plays out in a variety of different things. So, um, what have you learned about that?
1: Oh, there's so much. There's so much. Um, I'm I'm going to be embarrassed to tell you. I can't tell you the name of the author, but there's a book that's called, When the Brain Can't Hear. And it was one of the most enlightening pieces I've ever heard. It talked to me, it explained to me about how when you have auditory processing difficulties, you can't copy things down from the board to a piece of paper. Because we do this sort of sub, it's not out loud, but we speak language to ourselves and our heads as we're translating it off the board onto the paper. And if you can't do that properly, you can't copy things from the board. It has to do with so many other activities, although the one that really started me off was my son argued with everyone. Now, he had been taught to be a polite young man. He knew how to use his manners, but he would argue constantly with me, with his dad, with the teachers. It was a constant, constant battle of arguing. And it was him defending, I heard you say this. And, and that's what I finally learned to ask, what do you what do you think I said? And he would tell me, and it was not even close to what I had said.
0: Brilliant. Brilliant. So,
1: that was sort of my tip, and now I now I tell parents, try this: when you speak to your child, sit face to face so they can see your mouth move. I know you don't think they know how to lip read, but the brain is using other information to supplement what it isn't doing. If you can sit there and speak to them face-to-face, and they can understand every word perfectly, then, you know, just wait until they leave the room and say something to them loud enough that you know they heard it and see if they can accurately hear you when they cannot see you. And when children have auditory processing, anybody has auditory processing, it's much less likely that they hear you accurately when they cannot see you. And so it's real important for teachers. I, I had a client that I was mentoring, I was, mentoring. And she had a, a child who was working, and she was so frustrated. The teacher says, they still don't pay attention, still don't pay attention, still don't pay attention after all this work we've done. I said, okay, get me the specific answer. Tell me, when is it the worst? When is the child most likely to not pay attention? And surprisingly enough, the teacher came back and said, every time I'm writing on the board, they just lose it. I'm like, oh, when your back is turned to the student.
0: Right. Right,
1: bingo. Right. So there's there's really lots of good things that the parents can kind of check out, just small tiny things like that. When yeah,
0: be be an investigator. I mean, that's the whole point. It's one of the reasons I always sing the Google song. When the brain brought us the Google gods, who wrote when the brain can't hear? <laughs> By the way, it was Terry James Bellis, PhD. Thank I just you. looked at it. That's
1: perfect. That is what
0: it is. Yes, yes, yes. You're welcome. So, all right, so the thing of um, the stairs, is also, you know, there's that whole depth perception. Your coordination comes from your visual center, from your auditory center, from your um, – you you check to see where does that stair end, where does it begin. There's so much that goes into integrating your sensory world and then operating within it that people aren't aware – that having a sensory integration or a sensory processing problem could play out in so many arenas. So it's just about keep your eyes and ears open, pay attention to your child, and pursue healing modalities, people that believe in repair. That doesn't mean you'll get there, but it means you'll get closer if you're headed in that direction. Okay, we can only do two more questions and then, oh, you're so so fun. Um, we're gonna have to, to say goodbye, but one, I thought, what are the two interesting questions? So one of the things I've noticed is that when I first came to the field of medicine, I was sort of by default. I really just wanted to be a performer, but, but my kids needed help, so there you have it. And um, one of the things I kept noticing is that so many of the people that choose a particular aspect of the field came to it because they needed it. You know, people build clinics for cancer because someone in the family died of cancer. People, you know, people that come to psychology all were crazy at one point. I mean, it's just really an interesting thing to see who comes to a field. So, my question is, we are experts too. So here we are as parents trying to find our expert. And now we are experts too. What advice can you give to a parent From having sat on both sides of that, knowing the field is full of people that haven't done their work on themselves yet, on how they should find their expert.
1: Wow. Well, one of the main things, and and you're right, after going through multiple IEPs with the school and all these different evaluations and everything else, trusting all these other experts, right? Um, At the end of that day, the main thing I learned was, I know my child better than anybody, And I know when my child is behaving the way they usually do, I know when he's behaving differently than he usually does, and at this point in time, I would never let anyone discount my input. I'm the mother. I watch this child every day under every circumstance. If you want to ask me about all those things, I will give you copious notes and information. But... I believe that when you have found the right expert, they will listen to you wholly and completely. They will not try and jump to an answer before they have collected all the data you have. And what it is true, and my, my feeling is that, as <laughs> it always feel funny calling me expert, expert, but in that role, my most important job is to be able to translate all of the information a parent or a family or an adult can give me about themselves, and I'm the one who translates it into what might neurofeedback do for that. How could your brain help you with that particular issue, difficulty, struggle? And I am very honest with people. When they come in and they tell me, you know, I need this, I, I, that's just not what neurofeedback does. I'm so sorry. You know, right. and try to... Right. But I think that probably is the biggest thing is, especially in this day and age where we do have access to all of this information, and, of course, that's the plus and minus right there, but
0: to trust yourself to be an advocate for your loved one. I, Absolutely. I okay, and then, building off of that, the last question. Um, so you were a nurse, and a lot of people will do this thing where they go, yeah, but, you know, it's different because I'm a, you know, I'm an engineer, I'm a you know, I'm a construction worker, I am not a nurse, I'm not coming to this with that pre-knowledge of the medical field. And you mentioned some things that you had not known anything about. And I think it's a great opportunity to enlighten people about what that medical training really looks like because you didn't know what Ritalin was, you didn't know about the processing issue, even though you were a nurse you didn't right away know how to be a parent. So let's speak to that just for a second.
1: Oh, sure. Oh, you mean honesty here?
0: Yes. Um, yeah. Yes, please. But because you know. if we're gonna enlighten people as they search through the internet and search and, and become the experts for their children, um we've gotta be
1: honest, we've gotta start there. Right. <laughs> and and if you really and, and this is another piece of the expert, you need someone who's willing to be honest with you. You need right. to be, that, that psychiatrist should have told me. You know, I right. don't actually know. What the long-term studies of it. I've never asked anybody. I would have respected him more if he had said that. Instead of like, he really literally put his fingers over his mouth and muttered something. So find someone who will be honest with you because, I mean, what, have we been practicing you know, what you and I are referring to as Western medicine, what, for a couple hundred years?
0: Right.
1: And, and, and we're now in a position where we are supposed to believe that they know everything and they have the answer to everything And the unfortunate reality is, and and being a nurse, I'm not at all anti-medication. I think that there are medications for certain things, and I think there are people who respond beautifully to them. But I know for a fact that there is a huge population of people who do not respond to medications well. It is not the answer to their life. And so when you are a parent looking for answers, please do not be limited to what the field of medicine has to offer you. My example There is no drug, there's no drug on the earth that addresses sensory integration difficulties. They haven't got one of those yet. Right. So whether they're overdeveloped so if you have a child with sensory integration or a partner with it, there are no drugs for it. There are none. And so you do have to search out different answers. Look at what the problem is. To the best of your ability, figure out what you think is the source of this problem. Do they have a bad muscle? Is their leg bent? Is there a bone that's wrong? Is it their brain? You're smart enough to do that. We all, we all have that capacity to come up with our own opinion about what it is.
0: And when you go to
1: somebody for help and you're working within the field of medicine, please, please, please remember there are very big limitations to what they can offer you.
0: And and the reality is, you know, it's really uh, unrealistic to assume that any human brain is going to be able to remember every single thing they ever learned when they went to med school. Anyway, so even if they did learn it doesn't mean it's in their head and that their ability to recall, that's that's the beauty of the technology that we have today. We can actually access much more than we used to be able to. So I'm going to thank you for coming on the show and ask you if you have one last statement you want to make to people.
1: I think just quickly I will tell you that for the last 21 years, doing neurofeedback has brought the most wonderful, fulfilling, incredible opportunities to me to be a part of other people's journey. Neurofeedback is almost never the only piece to all of these beautiful puzzles we attempt to work with, but it has been my experience and and my delight to be uh, someone who participates in helping rebuild that brain or create that brain and help that as far down the path as I could. But I must tell you, it's one of the most fulfilling things I've ever experienced in my life to watch a child come in with a big smile on their face because they just got their report card and they're proud of it for the first time. Or a couple comes to me and says, you know, my wife is really happy now that I'm not pinching her anymore. You know, these are the little things that, that create the really big, important moments in our lives. And it has been an incredible gift to me to be allowed to participate in some of these journeys and see the outcomes be such flowers that are blooming. It's been amazing.
0: Yeah, for me too. Thanks for being with us today. This is Joy Lunt of Brain Potential in Burbank, and I will put her link up on the site for you all to pay attention to and go see give her a call and that was joy lund and hopefully now you know why i decided to make this show bridge both of my shows because it really is a good fit for us so before we close the show i do want to you know kind of wind it all together and tell you a little story so here we go it is time for story. Because sensory integration is a part and parcel of autism, every single person that I've worked with, that I've raised, that I've co-parented, that I've known that has a form of autism, could be in this story today. I have so many possibilities that it's really hard to decide who I should tell you about but given that that joy was talking about the difficulty for her child in the, in the body that the sensory system was affected not just in how how the child heard and understood but also how their ability to, um, to see and, and, and put the picture in the right place and to walk properly and to use their body, the wholeness of the integration of the sensory system was affected. And because of that, I am going to tell you about an adorable, adorable little boy that I worked with, and it's a miracle story. So I don't always have miracle stories for you. Sometimes we just have the story that's going to be a lot of hard work, and we're going to go a step, at a time, a step at a time and a step at a time and step at a time. But this little boy is one of those ones where you go there, you work for a few days, and you clap your hands together, together and say, voila, we are done. Granted, he was young. So I arrive. And I meet this little guy, and, you know, he's four years old, and he's just totally adorable, and he won't take his hands off of his ears because my voice is too loud, so I try modulating my voice. I try it quieter. I try it deeper. I try a, you know, a whisper voice. I try all these different things. And finally we find the tone that he's comfortable with, and I'm like, okay, well, seriously, we're dealing with a sensory issue here. (laughs) So so I find this this tone that he's comfortable with, and it's a very sort of monotone. Uh, sort of me talking in a voice sort of like this, and if I moderate it at any degree, he will all of a sudden shut out my sounds, and I want him to hear me, but I don't want to talk like this, because if I talk like this... I feel like he's going to zone out and go into his own world. And maybe that's part of why he wanted me to talk like that. Maybe that's why that was a comfort zone. And so I started sort of playing with that a little bit and thinking, I wonder, is this or is this not about sensory integration or is this about putting me into a zone that he can actually tune out And I had never actually come across that before, and that's why I decided to talk about him. Because, in fact, whenever I would go outside of this range, yes, he would immediately cover his ears, but he would also look at me. And I thought, okay, what are we up to here? Are you tuning me out, or can you only do one at a time? Can you only look or hear? Not both. And that that happens. Often the kids can look or they can hear. They can't do both. So, you know, I'm practicing and I'm playing with it, and he's got me talking in this very steady tone, and I'm going crazy because <laughs> this is not the way I am. <laughs> and... Uh, and I prefer to be fun and lively, but I am trying to be very steady. And um, and then varying it, and then doing something, and trying different sounds, trying banging, trying uh, snapping my fingers, you know, trying whistling. You know, I'm trying all these different things. And he seems okay with everything except a voice fluctuation. So clearly, we're dealing with a sensory issue of some kind, even if it is that he's trying to keep me in a zone that he can ignore, it's still sensory. That he's responding to. So anyway, so we go on and on and, you know, we're trying all these different things and I'm trying squeezing his feet and, and blowing on his feet. And this, these are common things that I do to see, do they like light touch? Do they like pressure? Um, feet are often something that the kids really like squeezed hard and heads and hands and lots of sensory input there. And so I'm trying all the different things and I'm getting him used to the idea of doing the um, neurofeedback. Anyway, so I've got the neurofeedback on him. He's actually pretty cooperative. So I got it pretty quickly on him. I was quite excited about that. And I thought, let's just do something I don't normally do. Normally, I always start in the same spot. With the kids, and it's at the top of the head. It's called CZ. That's the sort of the longitude latitude uh, map definition. Center zero, right? And it's between the two hemispheres, so it's a good spot to start and have a look, see, and sort of move move from there. You know, sort of see how the child's functioning, and then move from there. But in his case, because this was such a hard and fast need of his that I not fluctuate my voice I really don't like that <laughs> So, because of my own need of not wanting to have to talk like that so much I decided to go straight for the area of his brain that is more correlated with the auditory processing and I went to an area just above the ear Which is kind of logical, isn't it? It's called T4 if we're going to talk longitude and latitude, and um, temporal 4 because it's the temporal zone. And I put the sensor there. It's a common place to work with autism. It isn't where I always start. Definitely not. A lot of the kids I work with aren't comfortable even with that particular region of the brain for a while. But in his case, it seemed like a good good thing to do and besides maybe i'd be able to fluctuate my voice and that would make me happy and a happy therapist is a better therapist so i stuck it on at this location and i did um for any therapists who are listening zero to four four to eight eight to eleven uh eight to eleven being the reward and then um a high inhibit and so i i just started the neurofeedback, and there it He was watching the neurofeedback game, watching the little mazes guy eating the dots and listening to the beeps. And I got real quiet because he was being really good. And half an hour went by, and I thought, well, that was really easy. And I took the sensors off, and he was just sitting there, and I'm kind of wondering why he's so quiet. And I decided to just talk in a normal voice. And I said, so, what did you think? Do you like that? Was that fun? Now, I normally wouldn't even... Um, say that sort of thing, so I wouldn't be given that opportunity. But this little four-year-old turned and looked at me and said, more please, and didn't mind my voice change, and didn't cover his ears. So I put it back on his head, and we did some more. And that's why I called it a miracle story. He didn't come off of autism that day or the next day. But I never again had to keep my voice in that range. I was able to fluctuate, to talk, to play. We did many other things with his with his little brain, and, and his family was really awesome and cooperative, and it didn't take very long before they stopped doing it because he was um, declassified, as they say, no longer on the spectrum. So it was an easy case, uh, unusually so. That's not usually how it goes, but... Um, but it was definitely a sensory integration situation. So know that this is how it can be if you get lucky. And even if you don't, even if it's lots of work, even if it takes patience and you have to do a ton of sessions, it can be done. Hang in there. Go try to find the people who can help you check out Neurofeedback. It's really, truly amazing. I'm Lynette Louise, your story teacher host, otherwise known as The Brain Broad, and you've been listening to a new spin on Autism Answers. Thank you for being here, because without you, I'd just be talking to myself. Thank you for joining the show today. Lynette is the author of the refreshingly honest and at times hilarious new book, Miracles Are Made, A Real Life Guide to Autism. You can purchase this and other materials by looking on the webtalkradio.net website and clicking on the covers. You can also click through to her Facebook page and check out any show you may have missed by looking in the archives. We'll see you soon for another edition of A New Spin on Autism. Answers. Spinning in circles and talking to myself. Spinning in circles and talking to myself. Spinning in circles and talking to myself. I can't hear you.